When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Pineapple Pizza podcast discusses the histories, cultures, and beliefs of regions around the world. These stories often contain mature and sometimes disturbing content that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Pineapple Pizza Podcast, where we serve up delicious slices of mythology, cryptozoology, and urban legends. It's an interesting combination of flavors. Weird, but it works. Today's special is Christmas mythology. I'm your hostess, Ashley, and with me today, as always, are the fabulous and funny Emily and Lindsay. Fabulous! Hi, hi. So... We're going to do a story. It's going to be weird and German. And that's basically, (laughs) uh, I'm weird in German. So it makes sense if you think about it. (laughs) I am also weird in German. (laughs) I'm German, but I'm not weird. So no, that's a lie. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and call lies on that. That's fine. All right, so let's let's just do this. Hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus of Nazareth, the winter solstice was a widely celebrated day in many cultures throughout Europe. It was a joyous occasion when communities could take comfort in knowing the worst of the winter should now be behind them. <laughs> sure. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I live in the Northeast and it's never behind you. Never yeah, right? think it's behind you. It's always in front of you. Anyway, back to the story. <laughs> <laughs> Um, And brighter days, literally and figuratively, lay ahead. Uh, See what I did there. (laughs) (laughs) The Norse of Scandinavia celebrated Yule from December 21st into early January, an occasion meant to mark the return of the sun. S-U-N, just in case you were curious. (laughs) (laughs) The celestial body, not the person. You know, that thing that's up there. It's hot and shiny. (laughs) You're not supposed to look directly at it. <laughs> or so they tell me. <laughs> <laughs> to celebrate, men would bring home large logs that were set ablaze, and then families would feast until the fire burnt out. And I don't know about you, but that sounds like one hell of a shindig. Sounds like something I'd go to. I'd mm-hmm. feast until the fire went out, and I could do it all day. <laughs> all the cheese soup. 
I'm sorry, did I mention that I'm trying to lose weight right now? So I'm always hungry. <laughs> um, anyway, this uh, was a lengthy festival because it could take up to 12 days for that massive log to finally go out. Now that's wow. a party. Right? And there was probably a lot of drinking, I assume. So I'd go for it. Each spark from the fire was thought to represent a new calf or piglet that would be born in the coming year. So that's kind of cool. Now, let's uh, change gears and go over to Rome. Because we know how much I love Rome. It's your favorite. It's my favorite. It's up there with Spain. With Spain. I like Spain. I just hate their conquistadors and I have an attitude about it. (laughs) Spain, you're lovely. Please don't take it personally that I hate your conquistadors. (laughs) Or do. It doesn't matter. Um, Anyway, in Rome, the winter solstice celebration was known as Saturnalia, a holiday honoring, you guessed it, Saturn, the god of agriculture. (laughs) Celebration began the week leading up to the winter solstice and stretched on for how long do you think? 40 days. Ooh, I like it. Emily? I would say probably like a month. A full month. (laughs) (laughs) During Saturnalia, the normal social hierarchy was thrown out the window and enslaved people were given temporary, underlined three times, (laughs) freedom from their duties and treated as equals. But, you know, that's not allowed to last, so... Of course not. You can have a taste. That's it. You can have one month, and then it's back to building my stuff. Feasting and heavy drinking were routine, and all businesses and schools would close so that everyone could celebrate to their heart's content. It seems like things really haven't changed that much. Feasting and heavy drinking. Is there heavy drinking at your Christmas? (laughs) I hope uh, not. <laughs> uh, no comment. The only time there was heavy drinking at my Christmas was, was my 21st birthday, because I got drunk and my grandma didn't like it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I felt that I had waited long enough, so I got drunk at the dinner table, and that <laughs> is why I know I'm classy. <laughs> <laughs> During the early days of Christianity, the main holiday was actually Easter. Checks out. Makes sense. Yep. And that was the case until the 4th century when church leaders decided upon instituting a holiday to celebrate the birth of Jesus. But they had a bit of a problem. A little bit of a pickle. The Bible doesn't say when Jesus was born. In fact, most... Biblical scholars, uh, sorry, Bible scholars. Biblical scholars and Bible scholars are different. <laughs> and I should have remembered that when I was typing this up. So <laughs> you live, you learn. In fact, most Bible scholars agree Jesus was most likely born in spring. Mm-hmm. I hate to break it to you, except I don't. I love to break it to you because it's my birthday. Mine. (laughs) Mine. And anyway, shepherds don't actually usually just go out doing the herding in the middle of winter. Just something to think about. Just something. Just a little nugget for you. Anyway, it was Pope Julius who was like, you know what? December 25th. 
That is the date we will celebrate Christ's birth. It is largely believed that the period around the winter solstice was selected for the new holiday in order to increase the likelihood its celebration would be embraced. And if so, that worked. The new holiday absorbed a number of traditions from Saturnalia, and the Feast of the Nativity, as it was originally called, had spread to England by the 6th century. So, 200 years. That was pretty fast. Pretty quick. It really, if you think about it for those times. Mm-hmm. Turns out people like to party. And <laughs> eat. We like to party. We like, we like. I heard there's this new thing that we can do, and when we celebrate, we get to party. I like it. Mm hmm. Now, Christmas faced its share of ups and downs during the Puritan heyday in the 17th century, but ultimately, it managed to survive to be adopted by America in the 19th century, and we've been celebrating it here ever since. But when do you think it was declared? An official holiday. So I gave you a rough hundred years, right? I said 19th century. Just give me a ballpark. When do you think it became a national holiday? In the U.S.? Yes. Oh, I thought it was like the early 1900s. Well, that's the wrong century. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I, yeah. That's what I had thought of before. So I don't know. We think, Lindsay, you're our history buff. Yeah, the old, old history. Mm. Would it be like the 1950s? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you said tw- you said you said not the night you said the 19th century. So it'd be yes. the 1880s. You're really close. Um, it was officially declared a federal holiday in the U.S. on June 26th, 1870. So you were really close. Oh, okay. Suck it, M. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I got there eventually. Centuries. <laughs> Centuries are hard. You have to take a you have to take a number away. <laughs> you do. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so I'm so hot right now. <laughs> like my face is get. I don't know if you can see this on the camera, but I'm getting red like all in here <laughs> because of how hot I. <laughs> oh. It's going to be all right. I can do this. That's going to be good for the bloopers. Me talking about how hot I am. You know. (laughs) Take off your pants. (laughs) I can't because they're Loki leggings. (laughs) Slide off them leggings. (laughs) Then I'll just be wearing a Thor tank top. so weird. All right. <laughs> Speaking of things that are red besides my cheeks, let's talk about <laughs> Let's talk about Santa Claus. <laughs> I'm sure you know this legend originated with the figure of St. Nicholas. But did you know that St. Nicholas was actually a monk born in Turkey circa the year 280 Common Era? No. I actually did know that thanks to a movie on Netflix for kids. <laughs> Emily, what? <laughs> I found it was it's the new Santa Claus movie series. I can't remember what it's called, but the boys are super into it. There's always a new Santa Claus something or other. And the elves are so ugly in their little demon things. 
But yeah, yeah, he was Turkish. He was, in fact, Turkish, yes. Uh, St. Nicholas is best known for giving away his inherited wealth and traveling to help the sick and impoverished. He is actually the patron saint of sailors and children. Which leads me to wonder, who is the patron saint of people who curse like sailors but aren't one? <laughs> I'm asking for a friend, obviously. <laughs> it's interesting that it's sailors and children. Those are two very different things. <laughs> I don't know. Unless they're sailing children. <laughs> they didn't have child labor laws back then. It's fine. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> there were no child labor laws. It's just a bunch of little rascals in boats. <laughs> I'm gonna be I'm gonna be honest with you, I did not dig into that. I was just like, well that's weird, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> St. Nicholas was introduced into American popular culture by Dutch immigrants who would gather to commemorate his death. Now, believe it or not, that actually came over to America in the 18th century, so before Christmas, which is kind Ooh. of fun because that's probably not what most people would expect. Hmm. Um, the Dutch immigrants sometimes referred to St. Nicholas as Sinterklaas, from which the name Santa Claus is derived. Just in ah. case you didn't know that, because I didn't. I didn't know, mm. like, any of this. Except for the thing about the Romans and Saturnalia, I knew about that. Père Noël. Papa <laughs> Have you been watching that movie with, um... <laughs> shit, what's his name? It's called the Santa Claus. Yeah, no, 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 no. The actor who I don't like... Tim Allen. Tim a Allen. Yep, Tim Allen. Uh. That guy. All right, we're not going to get started on that. Anyway, that's... <laughs> the, the nice thing is that I went a little light on the history this time, so we're actually done with the history. Um, let's go ahead and take a quick break, and I'll be back with the main course. And we're back. I hope you're hungry, because it's time for our main course, and... Things are about to get real weird. <laughs> we do love it weird. I considered writing something clever, and I was like, nope, just say weird. That's good enough. <laughs> we'll get there on our own. <laughs> well, when choosing a topic for the Christmas triptych, I was like, I could get on the internet and look for something or I could totally cop out and pick something that I already know some stuff about because it's kind of related to my roots and I went the lazy route and here we are <laughs> <laughs> good choice good choice doesn't mean it's not a good story though so hopefully everyone will still enjoy it um if you did not know because I can't remember if I've talked about this really on the show or not before my family has Pennsylvania Dutch roots. And if you also didn't know, Dutch does not mean Dutch. <laughs> it's Deutsch, which is <laughs> German, because I'm hella German. So just in case you didn't know any about any of those things, there's a little bit of a... Some Ashley trivia. No, there's no Ashley trivia. I'm an unsolvable puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just oh, Wow, kidding. I just got the worst thought in my head. What? You can't say that and then not share it. 
Okay, so I was trying to find a really good puzzle for my dad for Christmas, and I was like, oh, I should get you for my dad for Christmas. Nope, bad, bad, back it up, back it up, nope. Record please, scratch. Please don't give me to your dad for Christmas. <laughs> He'd be like, um, thanks? What's this? He would call you five minutes later and be like, get rid of this thing. I don't <laughs> But uh, if anybody is looking to adopt a chubby pale girl, <laughs> I'll think about it. <laughs> Send your submissions to pineapppizzapod And send a picture of yourself holding up that day's newspaper. <laughs> I'm not getting catfish today. <laughs> I can't breathe. And I'm like getting even redder, I think. <laughs> Alright, so anyway, what I actually picked to talk about was the Belschnickel. So... <laughs> We should probably talk about that instead of gifting me to men, which is weird. <laughs> so anyway, we're going to be talking about Belschnickel for the central focus of our episode. Now, before we dive into the specifics of this figure, we need to touch briefly on the Companions of St. Nicholas, which is a group of related figures who occasionally... I'm sorry, why did I write occasionally? It's usually... I was drunk when I talked <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't actually drink. I have no good excuse. They usually accompany old St. Nick on his Yuletide travels, mainly throughout the countries that were once part of the Holy Roman Empire. But, like all things, the influence of these ideas spread to some of the surrounding areas, too. Often they serve as a foil for Santa Claus by threatening misbehaving children with various forms of punishment for their misdeeds. You know, that old nugget. <laughs> <laughs> the coal man. Just kidding, that's not one of them. <laughs> that would be cool, though. That, someone make that a comic book, I'll read it. <laughs> Belschnickel is related to these companions, but he combines both the punishment and beneficial aspects that are split in most traditions between the companion, who's the negative side, and Santa, who is the positive side. So he's both. Another key difference is that Belschnickel visits houses without St. Nicholas. So apparently he has his own driver's license and he goes wherever he wants. <laughs> He doesn't have to wait for Papa Gijo to get out the sleigh. <laughs> <laughs> um, geographically speaking, Belschnickel hails from the historical Palatine region of Germany, which is roughly the southernmost quarter of the modern German state of Rhineland Palatinate, with an area of 2,105 square miles or... 5,450 square kilometers. And I don't know what any of what I just said means. <laughs> but if you do, congratulations, you know where Belschnickel comes from. <laughs> Listen, I looked at a bunch of different maps, but I find Germany, like, confusing, probably because I don't know that much about it. And I don't understand its regions at all. So I'm sorry about that. Never said that I was a geographer, though, so it's probably okay. With that being said, 
The folklore surrounding Belschnickel was brought to the U.S. by German immigrants, and so he is part of the Christmas traditions of the Pennsylvania Dutch communities. And that's where my connection to this figure comes from. Now, I'm too young, despite the fact that we regularly say I'm 1,500 years old. (laughs) (laughs) I'm too young to have had a visit from Belschnickel myself, but I have heard some stories about him, so I was kind of familiar with him growing up. Um, Belschnickel became a well-known figure in Pennsylvania beginning in the early 1800s. And there was a time that homes throughout the Pennsylvania Dutch community could expect to receive their annual visit from Belschnickel in the weeks or days leading up to Christmas. So sometime in the days or like a week or so leading up to Christmas, this guy would show up at your house. Now, in appearance, Belschnickel has a few different forms. The most common is a somewhat disheveled man dressed in tattered clothing and furs. Are you okay? (laughs) This homeless man shows up. I'm Belschnickel. It's okay. You can let me in. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty much what happens. (laughs) Um, But it makes sense given that his name is a combination of the German word bells, meaning fur, and nickel, meaning St. Nicholas. So basically St. Nicholas in furs. Why he's dirty, I don't know. (laughs) Um, He will sometimes have bits of foliage stuck in his clothing or even don antlers along with the fur cap atop his head. He also has a scraggly beard and comes carrying both candy and a bunch of switches. (laughs) I figured it out. I figured out why he's dirty. Why? Because he's been doing reconnaissance in the bushes around your house. Okay, that's really creepy, but sure, we'll go with that. I'm just picturing him with, like, two... You remember the baby holster? Yes. I'm picturing, like, that, but on one side of the holster is a bunch of switches, and on the other side is a bunch of candy canes, and he needs to make sure that he picks out the right one if he's going to beat you, because it's not as effective if it's a candy cane. (laughs) I don't know, getting cracked in the head with a candy cane would hurt. (laughs) Somebody just wings one at you. (laughs) This is true. Okay. Hard. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. <laughs> can't, can't say from personal experience or anything. <laughs> it seems like that's a lie, but I guess we'll just let that go. We'll never know. We'll never know. Nope. My little secret. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, the second form is sometimes combined with the first by adding an animal mask with large horns and the tongue hanging out over the face of the dirty guy with the furs. (laughs) He sounds like he'd be a riot at parties. (laughs) He probably is. But there are also versions where this um, form is more animal than man. So... It kind of depends where it falls on the spectrum. Like, sometimes he's creepier than other times is basically (laughs) what I'm saying. Um, But the final version is a tiny figure dressed in white who could slip in through a keyhole. (laughs) I want that one. Because he sounds cute. (laughs) (laughs) And because if he causes any problems, you can just trap him under a teacup. (laughs) (laughs) Just put a glass over the top of him. 
what you gonna do now? <laughs> I think his switch wouldn't be quite as effective if he's that small. Just pokes you in the ear or the eyeball with it. <laughs> <laughs> um, this tiny version would leave behind little trinkets on a plate. So he would just leave little goodies like on a little plate that's sitting out. Kind of like the reverse of putting cookies out for Santa. How big are their freaking keyholes? If this guy's leaving trinkets, he had to have been carrying them in his pockets. But that means they have to be itty bitty. I'm picturing like a little thimble, like this, like the different characters you would play with in Monopoly. I'm picturing little things like that. Those wouldn't fit through a keyhole. I didn't go back in time and measure the <laughs> keyhole, so I can't really help with this. I mean, if you think about skeleton keys, they could be kind of big. I mean, in cartoons, whole eyeballs will fit through a keyhole, so. <laughs> Maybe he's like a squid and he just smushes himself through. I don't know. <laughs> Okay, so enough with the descriptions. I want to describe what a typical visit from Belschnickel was like in rural Pennsylvania Dutch communities. After dark, families would hear the first indication of his approach. A tapping sound made with his switches on the outside of the windows of the house. No, don't Uh like that. (laughs) I'm okay. Uh, Once the suspense was built up... (laughs) (laughs) Belschnickel would come in through the door carrying a big sack of treats as well as his bundle of switches, usually from a birch tree. And he would bellow out to the children in his gravelly voice. So he's like a cranky dude, okay? (laughs) Does he burst in? He's like, I have arrived! Probably, and then he's like, gather round, children. (laughs) Let me tell you a tale. Have you been good this year? No, okay, it's just getting weird, and I'm starting to sound like (laughs) that guy that Lindsay always does the voice for, so. I'm gonna stop, because I know when I'm outside of my depth. Uh, The children would have to answer a series of questions from the Belschnickel to determine... Whether or not they'd get a treat or if you'd get hit with a switch. <laughs> Damn. Oh, no. It wasn't like the riddle of the Sphinx, was it? We don't have a lot of fun in <laughs> German communities. <It's> not... <laughs> These questions would include things like, have they done their chores without complaining? Probably not. <laughs> Are they respectful to their elders? Probably not. Are they nice to their siblings? <laughs> Guarantee not. Are their bedrooms clean? Nope. Do they obey their parents? Hell no. Nope. <laughs> and if they manage to somehow genius their way out of all of those yes or no questions, <laughs> they have to tell him something nice they've done. That's probably the kicker. <laughs> Uh, Any child whose answers demonstrate more naughty behavior than nice can expect a swat or two from the Belschnickel's birch switches. But those who have been good can expect to receive a treat from his bag. These treats are generally fruits, nuts, or tiny little cakes. It is not a toy car or something. (laughs) I want a tiny cake. Yeah, I I was going to say, kids would like that. For a cake. 
<laughs> it wouldn't be free. You gotta earn it, Emily. It's not free. You have to answer questions. <laughs> Riddle me this, Emily. <laughs> Tell me something nice you've done. <laughs> I can't think of any. Well, you're getting hit with a switch now. So. <laughs> Sometimes the Belschnickel would scatter candies on the ground, too. But even then, you need to be careful. Any child who is too greedy and grabbing them up would likely get a swat for their behavior. <laughs> That's every kid ever. I know. It's so mean. I love it. <laughs> it's like Peter Griffin. Ooh, piece of candy. Ooh, piece of candy. In some of these traditions, his arrival before Christmas was meant to remind children that St. Nicholas would be coming soon, so it was important for them to be on their best behavior. He'd warn them to be good with his grumpy voice and coarse manners, but really the Belschnickel is generally more bark than bite. So like, you better be good, kids, or Santa's not going to bring you a bunch of presents. Why am I picturing him like, um... Billy Bob Thornton. Because I can't do a voice that doesn't sound like Billy Bob Thornton. I just picture him as like bad Santa being like, all right, kids, Santa's coming. I don't reckon I'd kill nobody. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe I just sound like Billy Bob Thornton. All right. Now that we've enjoyed our cranky second course, it's time to take a short break. <laughs> Welcome back. I hope you're ready for dessert because I've got candy canes, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if you watch The Office, you probably already knew what I was going to do for the last part of this before we got here. But if not... Uh, yeah, there's an episode of The Office that we're going to be talking about today. Um, so namely, we'll be discussing the Season 9 Christmas episode, appropriately titled Dwight Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> the premise of the episode is that Dunder Mifflin Scranton has forgotten about their annual Christmas party and it can't be rescheduled because there's no alternative date. That will work. So it's the day they're supposed to have the party and nothing is done. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah, it does for that show. <laughs> um, so trying to quickly throw something together on the spot leads to a bunch of suggestions from people in the office. And Dwight suggests having a Pennsylvania Dutch Christmas. And literally no one wants to do that except for Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately for Jim, his wife Pam takes up his cause during the like emergency party planning committee meeting that happens in the conference room. And she manages to convince Phyllis Vance to also vote to do the Pennsylvania <laughs> Dutch Christmas. <laughs> so Dwight, of course, has to be in charge of setting everything up because literally no one else has any idea what he's talking about as per usual. <laughs> um, so he sets up the refreshments, which by the way, include Hogmaw, which is the actual bane of my existence. What is it? Well, Hogmaw, for those who don't know, is a pig stomach. Ugh. 
Yep, it's stuffed with cubed potatoes, sausage, chopped onions, and a blend of seasonings, and then you bake it. It's disgusting. Ooh. It's, uh, that's, sounds like Pennsylvania haggis. No, it's not that bad. There's just one organ. It's a stomach. (laughs) It's gross, though. It smells bad. It looks bad. It's just bad. Don't eat it. Don't eat that. Zero out of ten? Yeah. I've never actually let anyone force a piece of this into my mouth, but it has been attempted on numerous occasions. (laughs) The smell alone causes me to turn a weird color and gag. So, no. Hard pass. Alright, um, so Dwight also dresses as Belschnickel, clad in furs, with dirt smudged on his face, twigs and leaves stuffed into his fur hat, and he enters carrying a bur- a bunch of birch switches in hand. It turns out bunch of birch is hard to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll post at least one or two pictures on Instagram for those who haven't seen the episode because it's hilarious. It is. <laughs> It's just really good. Um, He proceeds to judge his co-worker's behavior as either impish or admirable during the party. If they're admirable, they get a simple present such as rubber gaskets for canning or some mouse traps. (laughs) Who doesn't need a mouse trap? Well, some people do. (laughs) Um, But if they're impish, they get hit with the switch. Jim ends up getting the worst of Belschnickel's wrath when Dwight finds out Jim is leaving the party early to head to Philadelphia. Uh-oh. Yeah. It's bad. He gets hit a bunch of times, and then he's like, nobody else got hit that many times or that hard. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> Listen, I like Jim, but he should have seen that coming because, like, yeah. has he met Dwight? Have they not been uh, sitting at the same desk clump for nine years? Because it seems like they have. (laughs) Did you say desk clump? Yeah, that's what they call them on the show. Is it? Yeah. I do not remember hearing that. (laughs) Rewatch the episodes with um, Kathy, Pam's replacement, while she's Uh out on maternity leave because they keep saying that she sits at their desk clump. So that's That's what they call it. I'm going to call it that from now on. Well, it's a desk clump. That's literally what it is. A clump of desks. Of desks. Because they're not cubicles. They don't have any walls. This is true. So I'll be honest, I can't speak to where the writers got the words impish and admirable from. Um, It's possible that they, like, interviewed people or something that were able to provide that information um, I don't have firsthand experience with Belschnickel, just those generational stories, and ours didn't include anything like that. We just said naughty or nice. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if they were just like trying to separate it from the whole Santa Claus thing and like make it more distinct, or if that's a real thing. If anybody listening actually knows the answer to that, please feel free to send us an email because I'll be honest, it's bothering me. <laughs> <laughs> Because I did, you know, I obviously did research to put the episode together and I didn't come across that language in any of the articles I was reading about Belschnickel either. So it's kind of bugging me and I want to know. That is interesting. It's possible they just made it up. But I would like to know if somebody else actually has an answer to that question. If I still had DVDs, I might be able to listen to commentary and find out, but I don't. (laughs) 
because it's 2021 and who the fuck still watches DVDs? What are those? Mine are all in storage in boxes. Little boxes on the hillside. Little boxes made of ticky taffy. We're just going to start singing yeah. the song now and then we'll yeah. smoke some weed at the end of it. Yep. Cool. Um, so anyway, I, I still don't know, and I wasted an upsetting amount of time trying to find an answer to that question. <laughs> People are probably judging me, thinking like, oh, you should have just got the DVDs and then watched the commentary. And I'm like, yeah, I could have done that, but then what if the answer's not on there? <laughs> and I wasted money on DVDs that I don't want. <laughs> yep. So, I don't know. If anybody does know, please shoot us an email or send me, like, a DM or something on our social media and let me know. Because it's... I'm serious. It's irritating me. I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> like, I want to know, but I'm too cheap to want to know bad enough to buy DVDs. Um, but yeah, so the episode um is really funny. I would... I have to say, like, out of the Christmas episodes, this is probably one of my favorites, and it's not just because as soon as I saw Hogmaw, I got to rant about how much I hate Hogmaw <laughs> for, like, five minutes. You don't often get an excuse to complain about that, so it was nice. Um, <laughs> but I thought it was really funny, too, especially since Phyllis just tr keeps trying to convince Dwight to let her have the bowls that he brought that are, like, belong to his family because she wants them. <laughs> She's like, oh, I'd rather have the bowl. And he keeps going, you can't have the bowl. They're a set. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, this is probably one of my favorite out of the Christmas episodes. Although that episode where Meredith sets her hair on fire is also pretty good. <laughs> that was pretty that one good. good. <laughs> is that that's the Moroccan one? It is. Yep. Okay. I thought so, but then I was like, as, as soon as I went to say it, I was like, that's going to be wrong. <laughs> but yeah, it's a good episode. And like I said, I'll post some pictures of it. Um, he also has like this weird wine stuff that he says is also used for sterilizing medical instruments. <laughs> I listen, I have no personal <laughs> experience with that, so I left it out. I was like, I'm not I tried to figure out how to spell it I don't know, because I'm not actually German my blood is, but I'm not so I gave up after a little while, because I couldn't find it. But it's probably a real thing, because like sounds like something they would do <laughs> I'm allowed to say that because my blood is German, so what are you going to do? Yes, yes, this is true Alright, um, so does anybody have anything good that they want to share? Because I'm going to be honest, that's it for the episode. This is a shorter one for me. I can go. Okay. Um, yesterday I took Kona out to get a bath at the groomers. Because I don't bathe her at home because it's just a hot mess and I don't like doing it. And she came back and she is so soft and she smells so nice. She doesn't smell like a fish market anymore, which is great. <laughs> Gross. So, and she hasn't expressed her glands yet, so that smell hasn't returned to our home. So, hopefully it will, it'll be a while before that happens again, but as of right now, she's very soft and she smells nice. That is something good, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> no fishy house is a good thing. This is true, because it's gross. And it I don't is, like yep. it, especially when she does it against my body. 
<laughs> when I'm like in a work meeting and I can't dry heave <laughs> like I want to. <laughs> oh my god, I don't know how you handle that. I would lose it. I just yell at her afterwards. I'm like, why are you the way that you are? <laughs> oh my gosh. You're so gross. <laughs> um, well, okay, so my week was interesting. Monday morning, we got the email that the kids were going to be going virtual until after Thanksgiving break. So I don't really know that I have anything particularly good to talk about, except that I still have my sanity. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's good. I'm, I'm surprised I managed to hold on to you because they were they. This is the first time they've gone virtual this year, and they did not readjust well at all. It was a freaking nightmare. <laughs> so it was an interesting week, but you know, I'm happy to see you, ladies. I'm glad you survived. Yeah, <laughs> me, me too. too. I'm proud of you because that's got to be difficult. I wouldn't. I don't think I could do it. Kids are special creatures. Yeah. Um, I don't really know that I have like anything super good either because my life's been kind of a train wreck lately. Um, but I did remember before I actually read the closing that I almost forgot to read my sources for the episode. So hey. that can be my something good. <laughs> and I can read my sources before I fuck this up again. <laughs> So, uh, ingredients for this dish were sourced from an article for Penn Live by Marcus Schneck called What is the Belschnickel? Why is it part of Pennsylvania Dutch Christmas? A couple of pages from Wikipedia that I'm not going to individually list off because why? <laughs> uh, an article from The Morning Call by Kathy Lauer Williams called The History of Belschnickel, Santa's Cranky Cousin. And a page from history.com on the history of Christmas. So there you go. I read stuff. And you remembered. Yep. Before I read the closing. And that's all that matters, even though I still fucked it up a little. But that's fine. Because <laughs> you know what? Everything's a hot mess. Why shouldn't I be? <laughs> <laughs> Woo, all right, so thank you for coming to visit our beautiful pizzeria and enjoying a Christmassy slice of mythology. Pineapple Pizza Podcast, sweet and cheesy. Not everyone understands our awesomeness, but we're glad that you do? Question mark? If you're enjoying the show and you'd like to help support us, check out our Tea Public shop for some amazingly fun and funny merch. Or if you want to do a one-time donation, you can do that on buymeacoffee.com and buy us a fresh slice, because we can never get enough of basically anything, if we're being honest. If you absolutely love the show and you want to check out some fantastic bonus content, you can become a donor on Patreon and earn all kinds of amazing benefits. We have three tiers to accommodate almost any budget. The $3 Mythbuster, $7 Cryptid Hunter, and $15 Storyteller. Become a patron today and start enjoying all the perks and extra content right away. Don't forget, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at PineAppPizzaPod. That's PineAppAppPizzaPod. You can also send us questions, comments, and topic ideas at PineAppAppPizzaPod. A-P-P, pizza pod at gmail.com. 
Remember, there's the two P's in app. Otherwise, you're emailing someone else, and I don't want to be held responsible for that. Thanks for stopping in for some deliciously weird morsels. And just remember, no matter how you slice it, you're awesome. And we love you.